morning, everybody. Um, yeah, as Kate said, my name's Claire. Um, and I get to continue our um, People of God series this morning. Um, so we have been looking at what it means to be the church. Um, we've had a number of different um, pictures throughout the series um, to help us kind of understand a little bit more about what the Bible says about what church is. Um, we've had the image of the temple um, and how that was a really useful comparison for people at the time. Um, we've looked at how Jesus used that image of building his church on the rock um, as well to tell us something about the strength of the church and its foundation. And today, um, the picture that we're going to be looking at is one of family. So we're going to be um, asking the question, why does the Bible describe church as a family? What does that tell us about our identity? And what does it mean for how we play um, our part and find our place in the church? Brilliant, thank you. Oh, I'm just going to grab that. Thanks. Um, so if you've got your Bibles with you, um, we're going to be looking again at the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. Um, and today's verse is chapter 2, verse 19. If you haven't got a Bible, don't worry, it's going to appear on the screen there. So here we go. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. It's a really short verse for this morning, but it gives us a chance to look at it in quite a lot of depth and unpack some of the richness that is in there. Um, so a key theme in the whole book of Ephesians has been showing how Jesus brings unity where there was division and difference. And so people who were at odds with each other or just didn't really have anything in common are being brought together through following Jesus and being part of his church. And we see that again here. So let's have a look at this verse in a bit more depth. So he's addressing the Gentiles, and that's the people who weren't Jewish, who didn't start out being kind of born into God's chosen people. Um, and we know, because this is the book of Ephesians, that they're part of the church in Ephesus, which is a Greek town um, that at this stage in history was part of the huge Roman Empire. So their background and their culture and even the religious beliefs that they had grown up with prior to becoming Christians was vastly different from Paul's and the rest of the Jewish people. He's writing to people who are really, really different to him. But as we see here, the differences are no longer the main thing. He writes that they're not strangers and foreigners anymore, but they are citizens with all God's holy people. That is, they've got an equal footing alongside the Jews and that they're members of God's family. And actually, if you, um, if you look at the original language, the contrast here is actually represented really neatly through the pairing of like two opposite images, which you kind of lose a little bit in the English translation. Um, so before they are strangers and foreigners, and we still have that there, now they are citizens and family members. And so strangers is opposed with um, citizens. So we're moving from people who are outside and unknown to us to becoming people who belong 
and who have rights, because that's what it is to be a citizen, right? You belong, you have rights, you get a vote if it's a democracy, you are part of the furniture, basically. And then we also have the contrast of foreigners to members of the family. And the word that's used for foreigners here is paroikoi, which kind of meant like a foreigner who rented the land, but they didn't own it outright. It wasn't theirs by birthright. And they didn't really belong in quite the same way. Whereas the word for members of God's family, okay, it kind of means like people who belong in my household. Like they are very much part of it, they're under the same roof with me. So there's this kind of sense of movement that we get here, of being drawn inward from the outer reaches of the empire where strangers and foreigners live and we don't really understand them into the very household of God. And of course, there's also two ways that we can read this contrast. Because as we said, the church in Ephesus would understand that they had quite literally been foreigners to the Jews. They're in a different country. They're a different culture. And now, despite those things, they are united because of Jesus to be one with the people of God. So there is that sense of unity between two different people. But there's also a sense of unity and reconciliation between all people and God. Because it's very likely that most of these people would have started off worshipping not just like a different God, but multiple gods. Like a wildly different way of doing religion and faith. Because that was the practice in ancient Greece and Rome. And so they were strangers and foreigners, not just to the Jews, but also to God. And that's something um, that Paul kind of uses that image really directly in Colossians, where he writes, at one time you were strangers to God and your minds were at war with him and your thoughts and your actions were wrong. So the movement, the direction and the change here is not just people united with each other, it's also people united with God. And of course, people are only able to find that unity with one another precisely because they are united with God. So in this verse, we have the idea of church as a family, which is drawing different people in, and which only works because of God. But I want to look a bit now at why, why family? Like, why that image? Like, why does Paul use that? Because I was thinking, why not, for example, talk about a team of colleagues who are united by working towards a similar project? Why not a class of students who are united because they're all learning the same thing. Um, or a club where the members share an interest and they get to socialize together. Because obviously in church, we actually do those things, don't we? We work and we learn and we get to socialize with one another. So what is so special about the image of family that that's what gets chosen in the Bible here? So at this point, I would like to hear about your family. And this is an opportunity to take your phones out if you haven't already. Um, so yeah, please open up Slido, slido.com. Um, and I want to hear from you how you would describe your family. And the question that you will be prompted to ask after you enter that code there is what one word describes your family. So start thinking about it while it opens up. Um, you might want to say something like um, loud. You know, if you're a family who just can't stop talking when you get together, that might be what you choose. 
Um, it might be competitive. I know a few families here where maybe the board games get a little bit out of control when you play them. Um, or funny, because you have so many inside jokes that other people don't understand. Um, but what one word would you choose? Could we um, switch over now to the screen and hopefully we'll get to see people's answers coming through. But be very exciting if this works. There we go. Oh, amazing. We can see things are coming through already. So what have we got? Busy, introverted. I love that. I love the idea of like everybody having shared personality traits within a family so that you resemble each other. Fun. Lots of people are choosing fun. I can see food is in there. That's a really important one. Welsh. Yes. Whoever chose Welsh. Wonderful. <laughs> Chaotic, imperfect, odd, close, skilled. Fun, supportive, intelligent, dysfunctional is in there, fantastic, also very relatable. This is brilliant. I feel like I'm learning loads about you guys. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Okay, that's great. And actually, what I love is that the biggest one in the middle there, loving. I was wondering if people would choose that. Um, because isn't that the thing that distinguishes family from all the other examples that I shared of colleagues um, and classes, that families are connected by love? That is the thing that really sets us apart. And that's really important. I think that is one of the key reasons why family is the thing that gets chosen here. Just read a few more before I move on. Multicultural, patient, Irish, or we've got some, a, a bit of a Celtic rivalry going on. <laughs> Singing, that sounds like a fantastic place to have dinner. Foodies, crowded, relaxed. Oh, that's lovely. Thanks, guys. I'm going to ask if we can move back to the slides now. So we've seen that family conjures up quite a lot for us. Um, we picture certain things, don't we? When I say the word family, when we read it in the Bible, your um, mental image of what that means is influenced probably by some of the things that you've put up there. Um, as well as families having different personalities, um, different uh, temperaments that we saw there, and different um, interests, we also picture certain things based on our experience, our background, and our culture. So if I were to ask you a second question and ask who makes up your family, like who are the people that you think of when I say family? Now, if you have grown up culturally British, I'm guessing you would probably tell me something like, a family is generally made up of one or two parents, maybe some step-parents there as well, a couple of children. The average in England is 2.4 children per household. And we might include a dog, because pets are part of the family. Some people are nodding. But if I ask those of you who grew up in other countries and cultures, I think we might hear some different answers. 
If we look beyond a really Western perspective, then family can start to mean a bit more. It can mean parents and grandparents and multiple generations. It can mean a really extended family with just hundreds of cousins that you probably don't know the name of all of them. Um, it can look like just one child per family, or it could look like lots. So our culture and our experience really influences what we understand by this. And the key thing we always have to ask ourselves when we read anything in the Bible is that we don't start with our own interpretation of what the word means. And we don't ask ourselves, what does it mean first for me and my culture? But we start with, what did it mean to the people at the time? When Paul wrote about family, what did he picture? Because I'm pretty sure it wasn't 2.4 children and a golden retriever. So up here, I've got some notes on a first century view of family. And the Greek word for family is oikos. Um, and the only reason I include that is because it has a slightly different um, sense to it than when we use the word family. We can also sometimes translate it as household because it doesn't necessarily mean just the people that you're related to. It's bigger than that. There can be other people kind of living under your roof, maybe people who work for you, and they are included in that. It's just worth remembering when we read the word family that it might be bigger than what we're used to. And I think when we understand that, we do need to ask ourselves the question, in the church, when we talk about being a family, are there people we're not including? Are there people that we're trying to squeeze into a really narrow set of roles because our understanding of what it is to be God's family is maybe a bit too small. So the first thing I want to say about what this actually means for us is something about inheritance and identity. Because Ephesians has already had something really um, significant and important to say about what it means spiritually when we use family as an image for following God. Um, if you want to turn back to Ephesians chapter 1, you'll find verse 5 says, In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. And we sang that this morning, didn't we? We sang about how God makes the orphan a son or a daughter. I mentioned earlier that when we move from stranger to citizen, it brings with it certain rights. It brings a different status. Well, here we see that when we join the family of God, we are adopted as his children. And this is really significant because adopted children have the same rights as those who are born into the family. And at the time when Paul is writing, it's especially important because adopted children who were recognized children, they were allowed to inherit from their parents. There was an inheritance waiting for them set aside that was theirs by law, and it could not be taken away. Romans 8 verse 17 describes us as co-heirs with Christ. So we, alongside Jesus, are all heirs to God. How amazing is that? So this then is both our individual identity and also our collective identity as the church. We get to inherit what Peter describes as an inheritance that can never fade, which is kept in heaven for us. And that means that you individually are a child of God, 
living in a promise of eternity, but also we as a church share this knowledge of who we are, that each one of us is adopted by God. And that means none of us has more or less of a right to be here. And I just wanted to say this morning, um, if you ever struggle to feel like you belong in church, please know that God has said you do. You are a beautiful and vital part of this family and we would be worse off without you. So that's something on who we are, if we're family. But what does it mean for what we do then? Because when you know your identity, it impacts on your behavior, doesn't it? And so we're gonna think a bit now on what this could mean practically. And as I come on to that, I want to address something else actually, which is that I know that this theme of family can be really challenging for some of us. Because yes, as we've said, family is about belonging and being loved. And I'm really happy to see how many positive words there were up on that word cloud and not very many negative ones. But actually family can remind us of some really difficult things, right? We experience loss and broken relationships. And it can be really hard to sit here and listen to me talk about how great family is, when maybe that's not always your experience. You know, as families, we grieve sometimes, don't we? And we get hurt. And we long for relationships that are whole and healthy, and sometimes we don't get that. And I just need to acknowledge that right now. Um, I don't think it's that the idea of family is at fault here. I don't think that family is the problem, but families are made of imperfect people in an imperfect world, right? And you know, that means our biological families are imperfect, and it means that the friends that we surround ourselves with who are a bit of like a found family, especially if you've moved to Leeds as a student, those guys are gonna be imperfect as well. And even the way that we play our part in the church family is going to be imperfect. I don't think this means we should throw the idea out. I think God is a relational God and it is worth imperfectly working towards being part of something that he says is precious. But if that's you this morning and that's something that you're struggling with, um, I just want to say that the message of belonging and being loved that Rick shared, I feel like that is especially for you today. I think if family is a tough subject for you, then it's especially for you to know that you are loved and you belong. So, we're adopted into God's family. And what does that mean for how we live our lives? come back onto that in a minute. <laughs> so I'd like to say something about spiritual parenthood. And that might be a new phrase for some of you this morning. Um, so what do I mean by that? So in the same way that when we are young, we need someone who is going to teach us life skills, like how to walk and how to hold a spoon without flinging peas across the kitchen and how to ride a bike and all of those things. 
so also we need Christians in our lives, don't we, who are going to guide us and encourage us and pray with us and help us make sense of the things that really don't make sense sometimes. We need those roles, not just from the front on a Sunday. I think it's not enough for a few of us to stand here and say things. We need those um, interactions in one-to-one conversations. We need to share life um, with other Christians and share what we've learned with each other so that we can grow. Um, I've been blessed to know a lot of wonderful people who act as spiritual mothers or fathers in a church and also spiritual older brothers and sisters. Um, I think that's a really important role as well, and I'm conscious that we are quite a young church. There's probably a lot of people here who are thinking, well, I am obviously not old enough to be a spiritual father or mother. You can still absolutely have a role to play here and to lead other people. Um, And I just wanted to talk about one particular person um, who impacted a lot of people in her lifetime was a spiritual mum to loads of people in the church that we used to go to back in Oxford. Um, Her name was Eileen, um, and yeah, some of you guys will have met her. She was a mum figure to so many people in not just her practical actions, um, but also her spiritual wisdom. Um, So the first time I ever visited Eileen's house, It was a Sunday, I was with a group of students and she was cooking lunch for us. And she'd made this casserole and she told us that she'd thrown as many vegetables as she possibly could into this because she was worried about us getting scurvy with our terrible student diets. Um, She was often inviting people into her home and feeding them. But then alongside that, she was not afraid to have some really hard conversations with people to point them back to Jesus, or to just tell you if you were doing something a little bit stupid and nobody else maybe dared point this out to you. Um, Her prayers just had this way of filling you with confidence and faith in God. And she was also a goldmine of really sensible relationship advice. Um, I remember one Mother's Day in the church seeing people who weren't her biological children giving her flowers because they wanted to acknowledge the value in their lives of being cared for and encouraged and guided by a spiritual parent. I think we need people like Eileen. I think the church needs people who are willing to step up as spiritual mothers and fathers, as older brothers and sisters, who will care for one another who will encourage one another and call each other out when we need it. And like I said before, please do not discount yourself if you're young. You probably already have more impact on those around you than you realize, so you might as well be deliberate about it. So this is why we have mentoring at CCL. Um, A mentor, in case you don't know, is someone in the church who's available to pray with you, to talk with you about life's ups and downs, um, or about how you maybe just want to read the Bible a bit more and you need someone to help you make that happen. So if that is something you want to know more about, then please come speak to me or one of the pastoral team um, today or later. Let's move on to the next slide. So we saw loving come up quite a lot in that um, word cloud earlier. 
And I think that is one thing that the early church was really characterized by, um, how well they cared for each other. In the, um, in the book of Acts, we see this picture of the church really operating like a family in the sense that no one is left out and no one is left hungry and it doesn't matter if you don't have very much yourself because everyone is sharing everything in common. They were just astoundingly generous. And yes, that was money and it was making sure people were fed every day, but also actually what strikes me is they were really generous with their time. Like they were in and out of each other's homes quite a lot. They were doing plenty of stuff and they, they were around each other all the time. And, and actually sometimes that in itself can be a real gift to each other, right? We give the gift of our time to one another. I think love for each other translates pretty inevitably into generosity. Um, so I guess this is my question to us. Um, given that not only are we adopted into God's family as heirs, but also we know that every single other person in the church is, can we be generous to one another? Can we be generous with our encouragement? and generous with our time, generous with the words that we speak, even generous in our opinions with one another, like willing to show grace where maybe it doesn't feel comfortable. Um, because ultimately the Bible is telling us that church is a family and I just really want to encourage everybody that there is a chance for you to find your place in it today. So I'm going to hand back over to Kate now, that's right. Thank you very much, Claire. Thank you for painting such an amazing picture of what the church 